Good morning, church. Why don't you take your seats? It's great to see you here this morning. Fantastic to see you here in the church today. So I want to uh, welcome you if you're visiting here with us or you're not used to a church like this. I want to say it's great to have you here. You want to see us doing some funny things, people raising their hands, closing their eyes, getting a bit noisy. That's just our expression. One thing we have here at One Heart Church, and one thing we believe is we're not the only church. We're just part of the church. So this is just how we like it. Um, and so that's why we do what we do. So hopefully you can understand that this morning. Um, it's great to see the Reverend Peter Lynn with us this morning and his wife. Thank you. Let's give them a great hand this morning. Great man of God. So we're honored to have him this morning and I'm really nervous about what I'm going to preach about now because he's going to scrutinize me. So, uh, but you know, one of the things that I find is God does amazing things, how he, you know, causes things that should take us down uh, to reposition us to where he wants to where he wants us to be. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but sometimes you you go through stages in your walk and you think, you know what, I, I don't know why I'm going through this. And if that's you this morning, it's because God is using those circumstances if you if you are wise to reposition you to where he wants to take you next. So just be encouraged with that this morning. Um, don't ask God why am I here? Why did you why did this happen? You can't change the circumstances of what's happened behind you, but you can say, Jesus, I want to follow you through this situation. So I want to pray for you this morning before we preach and just um, maybe encourage some people here with that word this morning. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for whoever it is here today who's going through things perhaps not of their choice. And I just pray today in the mighty name of Jesus that you'll cause the circumstances from yesterday to reposition us for, the, for our tomorrow in following and serving you. So we just thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus and pray that today comfort will come to people's hearts, that direction, fresh direction, a new vision will be uh, shed into, into our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great job this morning, singers and musicians. Thank you. So I just want to do a little bit of a, a commercial for our preachers, preachers training uh, this this Wednesday night at uh, here at One Heart Church. So we've got uh, Pastor Jeremy Griffiths. You'll see the commercial for that later. But I just thought I'll um, give you a pre-warning about that one. But uh, it's open for everyone and it's free and it is top class training. So if you um, ever have an opportunity to share, preach, teach, whatever, you'll find that you'll get a lot of benefit out of that, uh, that training on Wednesday night. So come along. It's part of our Bible college, but we've opened it up for the whole church, whoever wants to come along and be part of that. So um, feel free to come. So we're on the theme of the supernatural this year, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Who enjoyed last week with Pastor Matt Garner? That was awesome stuff. But um, I'm going to follow on this month. We're talking on supernatural war. And all that that means. So uh, today is part two of, of the series that I began at the start of the month. And next week we're going to do part three. And I'm so excited. I spent more time yesterday on next week than what I did this week. So I can't wait for next week. But uh, you'll have to come, come out next week to hear that. If you want to hear the, the other parts of this series, you can get them on our podcast and um, look up One Heart Church, whatever you do, and then you'll find it there and you can listen to all our messages. So um, make, make sure you make yourself available to that sort of stuff so part two supernatural war part two the fight of your life so I want to just you know encourage you this morning 
that uh, you have an enemy, he's called the devil, and uh, he fights dirty. And I'm going to give you some keys today to help you fight dirty back. But it's a clean fight for us. But it's what the devil hates. So last time, part one, we learnt the difference between offensive praying and defensive praying. So if we were Americans, we'd say offense and defense, but we're not Americans here today. We're, we're Aussies. Who's glad to be an Aussie? Amen. Who loves meat pies? So Pauline, Pastor Pauline is away. My wife, she's uh, gone to visit our daughter who's in the army, so she's away for the weekend. So I haven't broken out the barbecue once yet, but fish and chips have been pretty handy. I'm broke, but I didn't have to cook anything myself. But if we only pray defensive praying, then we neglect our offensive praying. So do we all understand the difference between an an offensive prayer and a defensive prayer? So a defensive prayer is, oh no, we got the phone, uh, we got the uh, the electricity bill or the phone bill, some bill we're unexpected that's you know just crazy out of out of the world, and we go, oh, and so we go in, we launch into defensive prayers, Lord, take this thing away from me, um, or whatever it is that we're we're dealing with. But an offensive prayer is a prayer that we do on a regular basis that we speak into our future, we speak into the things that that. This is called a faith prayer. We speak into things that we haven't got as if we have got. So, you know, the honest truth is if you're, if you're struggling with areas of life, then you need to be speaking into those things. Get a word from God because God never denies his word. That's why it's important that we read the word for ourselves. We have time on a regular basis where we study the word of God for ourselves, one-on-one, us and Jesus, and then we, we get little, sometimes little, words or promises from the word of God and then when you pray that into your situation and into your circumstance God will do things on your behalf that's called an offensive prayer so I want us to be a church that is always on the offense and I want us to pray effectively in the spirit that's a supernatural kind of a prayer because we're praying not on a on a base physical level but we're going up into a spiritual level of praying so we can always live uh, in the defensive prayer modes. They're, they're, the, they're the carnal worldly prayers that are always uh, subject to what's going on around us, subject to the conditions of our life. Oh, I'm feeling sick. Oh, I've got to pray now. Um, you know, th- there's, there's things going wrong around me in the physical, so that's when I pray. They're, they're just called defensive prayers. Now, it's okay to do those. I, I believe in those. But you know what? You've got to have a habit in your life of praying in, on the offense that brings the attack to the enemy's house. So that was last week's, and, and I just want to use that to launch us this week. I'll just give you a, a side note here. It's really important that we understand because if you're a, a long-term Pentecostal here, you'll have all kinds of funny ideas about stuff, but if we have the next slide up, please. Flat tires aren't spirit, spiritual attacks. They are mechanical failure. So we need to correct some things in the life of the church you know, and, and an awesome, an awesome uh, thing to understand is, is there are mechanical failures that we face and they're not spiritual attacks. They're just you didn't go to the mechanic often enough or you didn't change your tires when you should have. <clears throat> so I'm going to launch into today's message from 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 in the uh, NIV version of the Bible. It says, For though we live in, a wor- in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
Here the Apostle Paul is teaching the church in Corinth about uh, a spiritual condition that we're living in, a, a supernatural world that we are part of, that we are in all the time. We live in the world, we live in a physical existence, but we don't wage war as the world does. So Paul's describing we are in a war. It's not a physical war, it's a spiritual, supernatural war. So today I, I hope I can give you some wisdom, some fighting skills to help you win battles every day in the supernatural. And that's the place where we want to be winning those wars. Um, moving on to 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Um, that's in the, the uh, King James Version of the Bible. And I've, I've titled a, a, an add-on to my message today, The Fight of Your Life. Because, you know, sometimes we, we, we don't take into consideration the context of the spiritual in our lives or the supernatural world in which we live in, and we don't realize that we're fighting the fight of our life and we're neglecting that part of life. I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking, well, I'm going to let... Uh, neglect that for one more day but I want to live um, winning the fight of my life which is in the supernatural world so the Bible examples we have uh, from the Old Testament um, of wars there were there were many many wars in the Old Testament that that were won by a supernatural means so you see um, I'll, I'll give you some examples I have them here um, uh, Moses he went to war when the, when the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt. They had a war, and the, the, it, it tells us, where is it? In Ezekiel, uh, sorry, Exodus 17, verse 8 to 13. I haven't got my glasses. I, I'm, I'm really refusing to wear my glasses when I preach, but I'm telling you, I'm getting close. I think in the future I'm going to have three words per page, and I'll be able to see. <laughs> Exodus 17, verse 8 to 13. It's a story where, where uh, uh, Joshua led the, the, the army of Israel to fight the enemy and Moses, Aaron and Hur went up on a mountain and, and as long as Moses' hands were raised, the Israelites were winning. So that's a supernatural experience. Something was going on as Moses held his hands up high, worshipping God, that the, the army of Israel could prevail. It says as long as his hands were raised, the, the army had the upper hand. Uh, another one, Joshua at Jericho. Um, Joshua 6 verses 1 to 21, we probably all remember the story if you went to Sunday school where, where the, uh, the, the people of Israel marched around the city of Jericho and then on the seventh day they blew the trumpets and the walls fell down. That's supernatural. You know, it's, it really amazes me how people do those things in churches and march around their church. We don't want the church to fall down. You, you go find somewhere else, like, a, like somewhere of the enemy's camp and march around that. So Gideon and his 300 men, um, they, they have a great victory. He starts out with a huge army, 20,000 or so, and God says, no, you've got too many men. And, and uh, he ends up with 300 men, goes into battle, and it says the enemy started killing each other. That's a supernatural outcome. Uh, there's, there's David and Goliath. David, an inexperienced shepherd boy, goes into battle against an experienced, mighty giant of a man and wins. That's a supernatural win. It wasn't just because David had practiced a lot. It's because God 
helped him to prevail against the giant. So um, with David, he goes on to become a king and he has so many wars and there's so many victories. I don't think he ever lost a single war, but they were all won by supernatural means. Um, And David recognized his war, his victories in war came from God, came from a supernatural place, came from a spiritual perspective. And in fact, David, it's mentioned twice in scripture, this um, term that David used, it was Baal Perizim. So I do use funny words sometimes when I preach, um, just to prove to you that that I do read my Bible now and then. But, but David said, after, after a mighty victory, he said, Baal Perizim, which means God has broken through my enemies. God has broken through like a flood is what that means literally in the, in the original language. God has broken through my enemies. So David isn't saying, wow, I was such an amazing army commander that I broke through the enemy's lines. He says this happened because God broke through for me. God supernaturally came into, the, into that war that I was waging and caused us to win. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So God has won the war in all those circumstances in the supernatural. And uh, I, I hope that perhaps each one of us can begin declaring over our own lives Baal Pirazim moments. Where we say, you know what, I had no chance. I couldn't see a way forward. I couldn't see the plan of God anymore. I was, I was uh, too far gone or too far broken, yet God has broken through and taken me to a better place. So your spiritual enemy can look like many things. But don't doubt God's intention for you to break through those things, to break through the enemy's defenses. And this is not about fighting physical wars. It's absolutely got nothing to do with fighting uh, physical wars. It's something that happens around us in a way that sometimes we can't actually see those things. But Jesus, he won the ultimate war by giving himself to be crucified. His death took down every enemy. Uh, Every enemy and, and, and when he was raised to life, He proved his authority over every supernatural spiritual power that would seek to war with people. That's the power of Jesus Christ. It's not not just that he died upon the cross. It's that he was raised to life again in a supernatural uh, transfer of power from heaven that raised him from life again that we believe and that we trust. And that gives Jesus the ultimate authority over every enemy attack that we have. I'll give you a quote from a man called Chuck Swindoll. He says this about spiritual warfare. Many people have the idea that the only kind of spiritual or demonic attack is the stuff of Hollywood exorcisms. You know, bizarre, grotesque events. Yeah, who loves that kind of stuff? But the devil's trademark attack is a subtle attack. He tries to draw us away from the simplicity of faith in Christ Away from undivided devotion that accepts his divine authority, Satan's major thrust into the experience of Christians is to cause our minds to stray from devotion to Jesus Christ into all sorts of other avenues, even ones that seem wise. So he, uh, Chuck Swindoll brings, brings us into the, the idea that spiritual warfare takes place in a way that just causes our, our attention to be distracted from Jesus. 
for our devotion to be taken away from Jesus. And that is a, is a powerful attack. It's not like a full-on attack of all kinds of things. I had four flat tires in one day. All, all those kind of things that would cause us to fall to our knees and cry out for God's help. It's just saying, you know what? You don't really need to read your Bible today. You don't really need to go to church today. You don't really need to worship God. You don't really need to do any of these things. That's a subtle attack, but it's spiritual and it's designed to... to the, the wind for the devil is to cause you to stray, cause your mind to wander. We all know the, 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 the classic supernatural warfare um, thing. So I said in the prayer meeting this morning, if I, if I use certain words, like if I said worship, people have an automatic response to what that word means. It means for many of us, you think worship, that's just our, what we do in church on a Sunday morning um, or when we giving the offering, that's our worship, things like that. So we have words that we use that conjure up images in our mind. So there's, if I talk about spiritual warfare, the classic response that most people would think, most Christians would think, is, oh, they're all night of praying, uh, prayer meetings and, and uh, uh, crying out to God, and that's spiritual warfare. It is, but it's not the only thing. There's a place for all-night prayer meetings, and I love those. But the most effective war that we can wage is bringing people to Jesus and staying faithful to Jesus ourselves. So we can pray all we like forever. In, in any context we like, we can even march up and down the street shouting as a whole church uh, and praying and crying out to God. But if we're not able to bridge the gap with people who don't know Jesus, to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he loves them and wants to bring them into a relationship with him, then our warfare isn't winning anything. So the, the foundational uh, uh, issue for true spiritual warfare is that we see people coming to know Christ as their saviour. So I want to give you three war skills to help you win battles every day in the supernatural war. And, and um, it's like the, the very things that uh, take out the enemy's plans. So the first one is live righteously. Again, that word will conjure up ideas in our minds about what that means. I'm going to give you some really important keys about living righteously this morning. So uh, take notes and listen carefully. So when I use that word, live righteously, the automatic thing that a lot of people go is, oh, well, that's okay because I'm so righteous. That's called self-righteous. Because, because I certainly didn't go to the movies like I saw so-and-so do. I certainly didn't, I certainly didn't ha have, have uh, uh, too much to drink at the party the other day like I saw Jimmy do. Uh, and we trick, quickly transition from, from righteousness to self-righteousness. The most amazing thing about Jesus that is easily missed is that he is the righteous one and we get the benefits of his righteousness. So one of the biggest, biggest traps I ever found in my walk and my experience with God trying to work it all out was, was I used to think God loves me this week because I isolated myself from everybody and I, I didn't say a swear word, I didn't say anything bad, I didn't get tempted into anything because I stayed, I stayed at a distance from everything and so Jesus must really love me this week because I've been such a good boy. And Jesus loves Italian good boys. 
But as soon as I got around people again, I find myself saying the wrong things. I find myself being, being annoyed. I find myself uh, getting agitated and, and then I'm losing my peace. I'm losing my righteousness. See, the amazing fact of Christianity is that Jesus paid our penalty because we are unrighteous, but for anybody who puts their faith in Jesus is covered by his righteousness. So we've got to get off the, the merry-go-round or the trap of trying to please God by being good. And I mean, it's good to be righteous, to live righteous, to, des- to, to desire to do everything righteously and well and with, with the right kind of ethics and morals. I'm not against any of that and we should aspire to those things. But if we're living, trying to um, uh, approve something to God by our goodness, it always falls short. That's called self-righteousness and it doesn't please God. Ephesians 6 verse 14. Again, the Apostle Paul says, Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor, in the New Living Translation it says this, and the body armor of God's righteousness. And you know, so often we think, well, I'm putting on the body armor of my righteousness because I haven't missed church for three years. And, and I, I even do everything that the pastor says. I'm, do, I'm doing everything right. So I'm putting on my righteousness. And you know what? The Bible also teaches that that righteousness is filthy rags. It's never good enough. So we have to say, Jesus, I want your righteousness to cover me. I'm losing my plot here. (laughs) So take the pressure off yourself trying to be good enough and start living in the confidence that God loves us and has made a way for us despite our sin nature. To live righteously is living under the atoning blood of Jesus. Behave badly, which my wife does a lot. She's not here, but everyone will tell her. (laughs) Behave badly. Run to Jesus, not away from Jesus. That's the righteous thing. So often we think, oh, well, you know, I I stuffed it up again. That's it. What's the point? I'm going to run away from God now. I'm going to stay away for three weeks. Live righteously, live under the atoning blood of Jesus. That's what it's there for. Because Jesus knew, God knew that these, these people are never going to be good enough. They're always going to blow it. Even when they try their hardest, they'll still blow it. Because even when you're doing your bestest best, then that little thing called self-righteousness comes in and then you've lost it anyhow. Living like this, living under the atonement of Jesus when you run to him when, you, when, when you've made a mistake, when you run to him when you know you've sinned, it frees you. It's, it's living like that fires a shot right through the devil's war against you. And the devil hates that. If you want to get down and fight dirty, then you start living righteously. You understand what I'm meaning there? So the, the, the living under the righteousness of Christ is, the, is, is a really great way to fight dirty against the devil. And when you think of it, He fights like a mongrel. Fight like a mongrel back. Don't be nice. Don't put on boxing gloves. Take them off. Put on knuckle dusters. Righteousness is a spiritual knuckle duster. The second one. The second skill to to keep you winning in the battles is be kind. It's almost like the opposite of what you would think to do in a, in a fight. Colossians 3 verse 12. 
Since God chose you to be the holy people, I love that. God chose you. Remind yourself right now, God chose me. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with the tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. See, kindness is being fair-minded. And sometimes that's in short supply. It's an attitude at war with the worldly you. It's an opposite to what our, our nature would tell us to be like. In a world where selfishness and personal gratification is rewarded, we stand in contrast to that as believers in Jesus. Our worldly nature tells us, look after number one. Look after your friends and, and those who are close to you. The supernatural life we live in, Jesus isn't about what is taken from us, but what we willingly give to others. It's an opposite. Jesus encountered a fair share of mean-spirited people. Like the men who were offended at the, the woman who worshipped at Jesus' feet and she broke that expensive container of perfume and she, she poured it all over Jesus. It's in Matthew 26 verse 7. Um, the the, the, the mean-spirited people in that room looked at her and judged her and, and, and looked at all her inconsistencies. They were mean-spirited judges. And mean-spirited judges judge others with unfair scales. So Jesus' disciples had their mean spirit moments, as we do. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15 to 17, it says that the disciples scolded people for bringing their children to Jesus. Now, I don't know how they did that or what they said, but I could imagine what I would say, get these kids out of here. They're messing it up. Little brats. So Jesus is not dealing with it, so we'll have to deal with it. In Luke 10, verse 25 to 37, a mean-spirited expert came to Jesus to test him. And Jesus' response, we get the most practical advice on kindness, and we know that as a story of the Good Samaritan who's heard the story. There are a few characters to the story that I think we're going to just look at this morning. I, like, I love to see the, the pictures and the characters and, you know, maybe we could have got some people up here to be our characters, but uh, that could be a bit corny, but I'll just run through it. So the characters in the story, it starts with some bandits, with some robbers, with some baddies. Uh, and then they have a victim. They have, they have someone who they attack. Then there's two men who walk by who should have known better when they saw the victim, the, the person who was, who was uh, attacked. And then there's a, a, the last person is the Samaritan who stopped and saved the victim's life. Jesus honoured the one who showed kindness in a mean world. So kindness fires a shot right through the devil's war against you. Kindness is something we need to practice for others. Not when they're being good, but when they're being jerks. And that's the hardest time. But it's what we're called to be, the light that shines the goodness of Jesus into our world. And that's really easy when, when uh, everyone's being nice to us first, but we've got to be nice even when people are mean. And we're living in a mean world sometimes. The third key is worship. 
Now, I know the first thing we'll think of when I use that word is, yeah, well, it is what we do in church, but it's not just limited to that. So I'm going to run through a few things. Um, Worship is among the top offensive weapons the church has in supernatural warfare. I think prayer, knowing your Bible, um, worship, they're, they're all really, really amazing keys for winning the supernatural war. In John 4 verse 24... For God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So worship can have a connotation in our minds, like that singing, it's music, it's something we do in church. That that is a small aspect. I've said that a few times today, but it's important that we understand. That is a small aspect of what worship is. But worship is, is a life. It's your life. It's not an event or an action that you do only in church. Worship is an act of our will that brings honor to God in everything that we do. It's an act of our will that brings honor to God in everything that we do. When we come to know Jesus as the Son of God, as our Savior, and that worship in spirit is warfare, because it lifts up Jesus and honors God above any other thing that is going on. It honors Jesus, lifts up God above any other thing that is going on. So you you might think, why do we do why, why do we do this thing called worship? Bring it back to that level. Why do we do that together as a church? Because it smashes huge holes in the enemy's attack. It breaks through. It's a Baal Perizim moment. Every time you come to church on Sunday and you think, well, I'm going to get there late so I don't have to do the singing. It hurts my ears, uh, whatever else. That's your Baal Perizim moment there. As a church, we break through the enemy's lines. But church, we are commissioned to worship together. Where we worship together, we are blasting right through the devil's war against us. When we practice living in these war skills, it, it won't be any coincidence that we will see victories. It won't be any co- coincidence that we see life changing around us for the better, that we're changing for the better, that we're not subject to only uh, praying and living in defensiveness all the time, but we find ourselves going on the offensive. We find ourselves going and praying for things before there's even a problem. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's how I want to pray. Live righteously, be kind, and worship Jesus. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? And we're going we're gonna to uh, sing together this song. We, we sang it earlier. But I would love to pray with you this morning. And I, we don't always do this, but I, I really know that we should do it today. And invite people to come to the front. And uh, we'll have some of our team pray with you and uh, stand with you. Because I know, you know in any time of life, we could be facing the attacks of the enemy, the uncertainty of the future, the fear, the, the, the I don't know, there's all sorts of things that we face that today Jesus wants to give you a Baal Perizim moment and we want to stand with you and pray with you and believe with you. So while we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come. We'll have some of our team, uh, Pastor Beth, Myself, uh, Pastor Josh isn't here. I think we're all our teams out. 
but we've got plenty of good people who pray with you still. So why don't you do that as we sing and uh, just come on down. We'd love to pray with you and believe with you for a Baal Perizim in your life. So why don't we do that this morning? Thank you.